So if you please turn your Bible to the book of Titus. We're going to be in Titus this morning, Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. And if you're using the Pew Bible, that's found on page 999. And you'll notice we're taking a break this week from the book of Acts. I figured it probably wasn't a good idea to baptize people into the church and then preach a sermon about martyrs. So I figured that probably was not sending the right message. So next week you'll hear about martyrs. We'll hear about Stephen as we go on. But today we're going to talk about baptism. The sermon is going to be about baptism. So let me read Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Hear now the word of the Lord. He, God, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do need your Holy Spirit. I need your Holy Spirit to preach your word, and each one of us here needs your Holy Spirit to open our hearts, to remove the heart of stone, and to allow us to hear from you. And Father, I pray that's what you will do. You will give us greater understanding. You will give us greater devotion. You will give us greater love to you, and that you will be pleased and you will be glorified, and each one of us will be blessed. Each one of us will be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name and for his glory we pray. Amen. Well, if you take your bulletin, and in your bulletin we have the catechism question number 165, where it asks, what is baptism? And this is what we confessed. We confess that baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament, wherein Christ hath ordained the washing with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost to be a sign and seal of engrafting into himself of remission of sins by his blood, and regeneration by his spirit, of adoption and resurrection unto everlasting life, and whereby the parties baptized are solemnly admitted into the visible church and enter into an open and professed engagement to be holy and only the Lord's. So let's go through this. What does this mean? It starts off baptism as a sacrament. What is a sacrament? Well, this comes from the, the Latin word. It basically means it's something that is sacred, something that is ordained by God. So it says baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament. This is relating to the new covenant that Christ has made for us. And there, there, are, there are sacraments of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament as well. That's his circumcision that we heard of in our, in our reading this morning, in, in our Old Testament reading, in the Passover meal. Now these were different, but they were similar to the um, sacraments of the New Testament. So in Genesis chapter 17 that Nathan read for us, God instituted circumcision. And circumcision was the sign of the covenant of grace under Abraham, sign of the old covenant. So there's a similarity and uh, and function between circumcision and baptism because both are a sign of the new covenant, the visible people of God. It says baptism was ordained by Christ to be the washing with water. And this is representing the washing of regeneration that we read of in the Titus passage. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We saw this Trinitarian command given by Jesus himself in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus says, Go, therefore, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
But the next part, the next part of this, this uh, catechism question, I think gives us the, the heart of understanding, the reformed understanding of a sacrament. It says it is a sign and a seal. And this is what I was talking with, with the kids during a, during a children's message. It's a sign and a seal. So what, what is a sign? A sign is a picture. It's, a, it's an illustration. It's a, a physical or visible representation of, of spiritual or invisible reality. And God is, is so gracious to us. See, God knows that we are physical beings. He knows that we need to see with our eyes. We need to, to touch with our hands. We need, to, we need to have the physical and the visible to help us to understand the, the spiritual and the invisible. And for this purpose, God has given us the sacraments. But my friends, we are so foolish. We are so sinful. See, instead of taking and using these signs that God has graciously given to us, instead we neglect the sacraments. We see them as, as meaningless rituals uh, that, that, are, that, are just a, that are just a tradition that we do. And what we do instead is we, we neglect them. And we make for ourselves our own idolatrous signs and symbols, really, which is a violation of the second commandment. And we see this all over. We see whether it is the making of icons of Christ and, and, and the saints, which some churches do to worship, or making of statues of Christ and, and the saints, or even the making of television shows of Christ and the saints. All of these are, are things that we make to try to, to try to make the invisible visible. But all of them are violations of the second commandment. And we do this because it's natural. We need the physical to make sense of the spiritual. But God has given us the means. God has given us the sacraments. God has given us baptism, which we will celebrate today. And he's given us the Lord's Supper, which we will celebrate this evening. And he's given these visible signs to satisfy this need that we have. Now, the sacraments are not only signs, as I mentioned to the kids. They are also seals. So what is, what is a seal? Well, a seal was, was usually something in wax that a king would put on his document. So when he, when he made a decree, it would authenticate his, it would have his authority and his authenticity. The king would make a proclamation, and then he would place his royal stamp, his royal seal on the document, signifying that the document was from the king, and it carried the authority of the king. And this is what sacraments do. They are signs and seals. They, they attest to the, the trustworthiness of the thing to which they signify. So another way of looking at it is, is sacraments, you can think of it as like God's signature on a document or, or his signature on a contract. They, they seal his promise, his promises that are given to us in the gospel. See, baptism is a sign and seal of the gospel promises. So, so, so what are these promises? Well, we see them listed in this catechism question. So, so take a look. It says they are a sign and seal of ingrafting into himself of remission of sins by his blood and regeneration by his spirit, of adoption and resurrection unto everlasting life. So what this is telling us, these, these are signs and seals pointing to the benefits that we have, the spiritual benefits that we have with our union with Christ. So the sacrament of baptism is a means of grace, and it's means to, to strengthen us, strengthen us spiritually. But it's more, it's more than that. The, baptism, the sacrament of baptism also identifies us, also identifies us as members of the covenant of grace. You can think of it as a marker. It's a marker of the covenant community. And baptism, like its predecessor circumcision, is the sign of the covenant. 
This is the, the marker that identifies a person as part of the covenant community, as part of the visible church. Now, God is, is so gracious to us. He doesn't make covenants just with individuals. He makes covenants with families. Peter preached about this in, in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. He said the promises are for you and for your children. So therefore, it's appropriate for us. It's appropriate for us to have our children, children, as, as the catechism question said, of at least one believing parent to receive this sign of the covenant, which is baptism, to be included in the visible church. Now, just to be clear, baptism does not save a person. Justification, that is being declared righteous in God's sight, being made fit for heaven. This is received solely by grace alone. It is received solely on the basis of, of faith alone, faith in God's promises. And it's accomplished solely by the merits of Jesus Christ alone, of his, of his perfect righteousness and his sin atoning death. And this, my friends, this is the gospel. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And baptism is the sign and seal of this promise that is given to us in the gospel, which is offered to you who believe and offered to your children. And what I want to do today is I want to look at the spiritual and invisible realities, the promises that are signified and confirmed in the baptism that we will see. And there are many passages that we can look at, but, but I want to look at this, this one passage from Titus because it shows a clear connection of baptism with this washing of regeneration that we see in verse 5. So as you typically do, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this passage verse by verse, and we're going, to, we're going to really soak in the promises that are listed here, the promises to which baptism points. So let's start with verse 5. It says, God saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. So I want to stop right here. Let's stop right here. See, we need to have this truth etched on our brains. He saves us not because of anything good in us. He saves us not because of anything we have done. He saved us not because we were baptized, not because we go to church, not because we are a good or a moral person. There is nothing in us that deserves salvation. In fact, everything in and of us only deserves condemnation. See, there, there's absolutely nothing in us that contributes to our salvation. And unless we understand this, unless we internalize this reality, not only will we be filled with, with pride, but we will not even be saved. We will be deceived. You see, because works righteousness, that is, I do something to earn my salvation. I do something to deserve heaven. Works righteousness is the natural state of the, the unregenerate man or woman. This is our natural condition. And works righteousness is simply trusting in ourselves, trusting in our works, even trusting in the strength of our own faith. Trusting in anything rather than trusting in the only one who can save. Rather than trusting in Jesus Christ alone. See, it's not the, the strength of my faith that matters. It's the object of my faith. So you can have a, a, a mustard seed faith in Jesus Christ. This is infinitely better. Infinitely better than tons and tons of faith in anything other than Christ. So let me be as, as plain and as blunt as possible. <clears throat> if, you, I, if your identity... If your hope, if your security is in yourself or in anything else in all creation other than Christ, that's other than Christ as he's presented in the gospel, not, not, not a Christ of our own imagination. If it is in anything other than Christ, 
then you are lost. That's what scripture tells us. So the first part of this verse really cuts the legs out of the legalist. It makes it clear that we cannot be saved by anything that we do in and of ourselves. Now, if I stopped here, this, this would lead only to despair. There would be no hope, but, but thankfully, thankfully, the verse does not stop here. Continuing in verse 5, it says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. See, here is our hope. Our hope is in God's mercy. Now, this may make you nervous. And it makes us nervous because we really can't control God's mercy. God's mercy is outside ourselves. We must wait for his mercy. We can't force it. We cannot control it. And continuing in, in, in the verse, it says, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And here's where we see the, the connection with baptism. See, this is what is symbolized by baptism. Baptism points to the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And this is not the only symbolism in baptism, uh, but this is the aspect that I want to focus on today. And I think this is the aspect that's most clearly seen in baptism and an aspect that I think, sadly, is often neglected in our understanding. See, often what we do is we see baptism as a proclamation of my faith. But what we see here is, is the exact opposite. Baptism is not a picture of my faith, but it's a picture of God's faithfulness. It's a picture of God's mercy. It's not about what I do. It's about what God has, has already done. And what we'll see in a few moments when, when this water is, is, is poured out on the recipients, what we're going to see is, is a picture of the cleansing power of the gospel. As it washes away the sins, the sins that cause a barrier between a holy God and our sinful human beings. It's the washing of regeneration. And regeneration is really the perfect word here because that's what's being done. See, our souls are being regenerated. They are becoming made re they're becoming renewed. We are becoming a new creation in Christ. We go from being spiritually dead and under God's just condemnation to being spiritually alive and giving God's favor, the reward of eternal life in Christ. And it's important that it's in Christ. Because we receive these benefits only because of Christ. Only in Christ. Only because of our union with Christ. And the regeneration, is not, it's not caused by the water. There's nothing magical really about baptism. Baptism, again, is a simply a sign and a seal of the transforming power of the gospel. The power is in the gospel itself. Now, simply because this is not the causative instrument. Baptism is not the causative instrument of this transformation. This doesn't mean that there's no power in baptism. It doesn't mean that there's no purpose in baptism. Far from it. See, baptism is a means of grace. It's a means of grace. So in a few minutes, we will see with our own eyes, those who are being baptized, will feel the water, the wet on their heads. And what we see, this is a picture. We see it, it's a sign of the power of the gospel of the power of the gospel to impart spiritual regeneration, to give life where there was no life. And this is not just a means of grace to the four people being baptized today. No, it's a means of grace for each one of us here, each one of us who have been baptized. Because what we see here in this baptism or in any baptism is an individual, the invisible renewing work of the Holy Spirit. We see that on display. We see a picture of that in the sacrament. 
But this is not all that we see in this passage. There's more uh, to this reality than, than is pointed to by baptism. Continuing verse 6, it says, By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. See, not only regenerated by the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit, and think about this, this is the, the, the infinite, almighty God himself, the Holy Spirit. He is poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. That is that all of us, all of us who are in Christ, all of us who by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, have been regenerated and justified through Christ, we have the Holy Spirit poured out onto us, poured into us. And this is really the, the beautiful symbolism that we see here in baptism. When, when, the water, when, when we pour the water. So when I pour the water on, on the heads of these individuals being baptized, this is signifying the promise of the Holy Spirit being poured out to all, all who belong to Christ. When you're seeing this, you are seeing the promise that is given to all who are in Christ. The text says that he is poured out on us richly. This means that, that our possession of the Holy Spirit, this is not trivial. This is not an inconsequential thing. This, my friends, is life transforming. Again, think of what we're saying. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, he resides in each one of us, in us and within us and on us. And he's leading us. He is directing us. He is comforting us. He is convicting us. What an incredible blessing. And it's, unfortunately, it's one that sadly is so often neglected. I think we fail to, to really grasp the magnificence and, and the power of this reality of having the Holy Spirit in us. So in a few moments, as we are watching this baptism, I want you all, I want you all to contemplate what this means. I want you to contemplate the privilege that each one of us has. The Holy Spirit has been poured out into us and really, really be overwhelmed by this reality. And the Holy Spirit, he's given for a purpose. His presence has an effect on us. And we see this in, in verse 7. It says that, says that, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the gospel of eternal life. And here, this is speaking about adoption. And I came in the tail end of the, of the Sunday school. Nathan was talking about the beauty of adoption. Adoption was mentioned in our catechism question. It's one of the benefits that we have of our union with Christ. It's symbolized by baptism. So, so what is adoption? Well, adoption is a change in our relationship that we have with God. We have a changed relationship as Christians. See, there's, there's a fallacy, a fallacy that Satan has promoted, and a fallacy that's not found anywhere in Scripture. And the fallacy says that every single person who's born is a child of God. This is not true. This is not what Scripture teaches. See, because of our fall, because of our rebellion against God, because of our continual sin, we are not by nature children of God, but rather by nature we are children of wrath. That's what Ephesians 2 tells us. We are by nature children of the devil. That's what John chapter 8 tells us. But when we are regenerated by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, as is symbolized by baptism, our status changes. Status changes from God's enemies to his precious and beloved children. God goes from being a righteous judge that justly condemns our sin to a, a loving Heavenly Father who delights in us. And not only are we children, but we're heirs. What does heirs mean? It means we get an inheritance. It means that through Christ, all things, the entire universe belongs to us, is given to us. 
This is the reality that's signified in baptism. Again, it blows our minds. It says we are heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And even that, the hope of eternal life. Those of us in Christ, we will live forever. Now, the truth is every human being will live forever. The question is just where will we live forever? But if we're in Christ, we will live forever in perfect fellowship with God and perfect fellowship with one another in the new heavens and the new earth. And we will live with Christ where there is no pain, where there is no sickness, where there is no death, where there is no frustration, where there is no sadness. And best of all, where there is no sin. My friends, this is the destiny for all who are in Christ. And baptism is a sign and a seal of that reality. So the baptism that we will shortly see, we see God's signature attesting to the validity of these glorious promises given to us. Now verse 7 shows us one purpose of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 shows us another purpose. Please take a look at verse 8. It says, the, trust, the saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed by faith in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So contrast verse 5 with, 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 with this verse 8. See, verse 5 makes it clear that we are saved not because of any good works we do. But verse 8 says, verse 8 says, as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit, we now devote ourselves to what? To doing good works. See, good works are not the cause of our salvation, but rather they are the result of our salvation. And these are good works, not, they're not the grounds of our salvation, but they are the purpose, the purpose of our salvation, to do good works. But we need to be careful here. Because even here, we can go astray, thinking that these good works somehow originate with us. And somehow we can take pride in these good works. Now we do put in effort. We actually do do good works. But the power to accomplish them comes not from us, comes from the Holy Spirit who is indwelling in us. And more than that, more than that, even the desire to do the good works, good works by God's definition, not, not works done by selfish motives, not for our own glory, but for God's glory. Even this desire is not natural to us but comes only because our motivations and our affections have been changed, have been transformed by the Holy Spirit. And because of this, these good works play an important role in the Christian life. To these good works, they are a confirmation that we are in Christ, that we have been washed, that we have been regenerated, that we have been renewed, that we have the Holy Spirit. And these works, they include a desire to make Christ known in everything we do. To see him glorified above all else. In anything we do, we want to see Christ glorified. We do all for the glory of God. These works include a desire, a love for him. It includes a hunger and a thirsting to know him better, to know him fuller. A desire to love our neighbors as ourselves. A love for, for God's moral law. A desire to keep his law. Not as a means of salvation, but as an expression of our love for him. And because we see the beauty in his law, because the beauty it shows, it points to him. And even though we'll never do this perfectly, we'll never do this perfectly, the side of glory. But even the smallest trace of these works and affections, they're not native to us. They're only possible because a soul has been transformed by the Holy Spirit into a new creation in Christ. 
And this brings us to, to an important point in baptism. This is a point that Nathan brought up uh, two years ago when he preached on baptism. And, and if you haven't heard that sermon, I encourage everyone to listen to the sermon. The promise belongs to you and your children. Because Nathan goes through and he explains specifically the Reformed understanding of, of baptism. But this is a good point that Nathan uh, brought up. And the point is that our baptisms must be confirmed. We must demonstrate by our actions, by our words, by our very thoughts, a life that has had an encounter with Christ, a life that has been changed, that we are a new creation in him. So we're going to baptize four, we're going to baptize the three children this morning. And these children, they will need to confirm their baptism by their own profession of faith and, and, and by works and affections, keeping with this profession. But even for those of us who have been baptized, not as children, but upon our own profession of faith, we too need to confirm our baptism by works and affections, keeping with our profession. And my friends, this confirmation is not a one-time event. Some of you may know some churches that baptize children, they will also have a, a confirmation, which is a formal service, where the children will actually confirm the vows, the baptismal vows. So we see as the children are being baptized, they're, they're not taking the vows themselves. As Laura is being baptized, she will take the vows herself. But when the children are being baptized, they will be, have their parents take their vows. So some churches will have, when the children get older, they will, make a confirm, they will have a confirmation service confirming their vows. But this is not what I'm talking about. This is not the, the type of com- confirmation I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, the daily, daily walking in newness of life that comes from being regenerated, comes from being redeemed, comes from being a, a born-again child of God that is signified by baptism. And this confirmation, not only that we are members of the visible church, which we see in baptism, but that we are members of the invisible church. That means we are transformed. That means we are redeemed. That means we are going to be in glory forever. Now, this thought may be troubling to you. It may bring you anxiety, but it really it shouldn't. See, this confirmation again, is the work of the Holy Spirit. This confirmation is the natural disposition of a soul that is a new creation in Christ, a soul that is united to Christ. And it's not perfection. Not in this life it's not going to be perfection. It may be very imperfect. It may be filled with with much sins. It may be filled with wrong motives. But what we see here is, is a direction. It's a direction that's moving away from self and moving away from sin and moving toward God and moving toward righteousness. So if there are any here today who are not in Christ, who are not new creations in Christ, who have not received and rested upon Jesus Christ alone as he is presented in the gospel, whether baptized or not, my friends, that can change now. Because scripture tells us all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So if there are any here in that situation, come talk to me. Come talk to one of the elders. That can be changed. But those of us who are in Christ, as we come to this time of baptism, may we receive and rest upon this sacrament, and may it be a sign and seal of the, of the magnificent promises in the gospel. And may we be encouraged to have our faith and assurance increased. And may each one of us, each one of us who has been baptized, may we renew our commitment and confirm our baptismal vows. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this baptism. We thank you for the promises that it represents. And I pray now, Lord, as we come to baptize these people, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will be upon them. And this will be a means of grace, not just for those receiving baptism, but every single one of us, that you will be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name.